intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. The problem with America is not that we go around marauding around the world imposing ourselves. Mm. The problem with America in the last 10, 15 years since the end of the Cold War, really in the last 60 years, is that we've been too slow to get involved. I don't know how many Iraqi civilians were killed, but I can assure you that the number is the absolute minimal that it's possible uh, in modern warfare. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. You know, that land over there is yours. You'll go back to it one day because your fight will prevail and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Welcome to the Welcome to the Dark and Dower. I'm your host, Adam Fitzgerald. The pretext to the September 11th attacks, 1993 World Trade Center bombing. The Baluchi clan, or more notably, the uncle and nephew partnership of Ramzi Youssef and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is rather underreported in the pretext to the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. In today's conversation, we're going to be talking about the massive influence between the duo and the 1993 World Trade Center attacks coming from Baluchistan, Pakistan, and what it meant to the world in regards to the formation and early time frame regarding Ramzi Youssef and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And to talk a little bit further, I'm going to be bringing up the conversation into an early period in which generally most people aren't aware or generally are ignorant about. And that is because largely the legacy media has no care in educating the public about these two individuals who have a resounding importance on our daily lives regarding these two magnificent attacks upon our country. We'll start in Baluchistan, Pakistan, the largest province which forms southwest of the country with Quetta as its main capital, Islam is the predominant religion here at a 99% capita rate, even though it has a minority of Pashtuns and Pakistani Christians. Baluchistan is indeed a thoroughfare between Afghanistan and India. According to very sparse information, it is here where Abdul Basit Maham Abdul Karim would begin his childhood. Although he was born in Kuwait, his family will move back to Pakistan in the mid-1980s. Abdul Karim's father, Muhammad Abdul Karim, would be considered an Ajam, meaning Arabic, in Arabic meaning, which would not be of his mother tongue, he was an illiterate. Very little information exists regarding Abdul Basit's childhood and his family. From what is known while living in Pakistan, he was sent to the United Kingdom to further his education and escape the dirt roads of Baluchistan. 
which was in the 1980s, a neighborhood which catered to the Mujahideen fighters arriving to train and become a Mujahid in the Afghan war against the Soviet invaders. It is also rumored here that Yusuf would join the Muslim Brotherhood as well. Other notable family members would include Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, whose family was not as obscure as Basit's, however. Basit's maternal uncle, KSM, who claimed Baluchistan as birthplace. His father, Sheikh Mohammed Ali Dostan Baluchi, was a Diobandi imam who moved the family to Kuwait from Baluchistan in the 1960s. His mother, Halima Mohammed, it is not known at what date KSM was born. Some say March 1st, 1964, others April 14th, 1965. In time, Abdul Basit Karim would use an alias, one that would be known to everyone in the world in soon time, Ramzi Ahmad Youssef. There are rumors during this period of Youssef's life that the Central Intelligence Agency had recruited Youssef as part of its Operation Cyclone operation, where the CIA had helped Afghan and Islamic Mujahid fighters in trading camps located in Peshawar in Islamabad, Pakistan, against the Soviets. According to a 1995 Newsdate article, now defunct from the quoted history comments, quote, FBI officials are also considering a probe of whether the CIA had any relationship with Yusuf, who fought with the CIA financed Mujahideen in Afghanistan in the 1980s, end quote. Yusuf went to study electrical engineering while at the Swansea Institute in Wales. While on a semester break in 1988, Yusuf arrived in Peshawar and began training in computer-aided electrical engineering. In 1989, he once again returned to Peshawar and began training at the Sada training camp for Afghan Mujahideen fighters. There he learned how to manufacture explosives from Abu Jafar al-Qandari, who was an explosive expert from the Jihad Wild training camp, which was located in coast Afghanistan. Jafar also trained another fellow Mujahid who just arrived in 1989, Ahmad Ajaj. Yusuf graduated from Swansea in 1989, just before he began training at the Sada camp, operated under Afghan warlord and de facto head of the Northern Alliance, Abdul Rasul Sayaf. Meanwhile, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed had begun his fascination with the Afghan-Soviet war while listening to a speech given by Abdul Rasul Sayaf in 1982. Sayaf had declared a global jihad against the Soviet invaders in which, much like his nephew, Yusuf, KSM joined the Muslim Brotherhood. He was 16 at the time in 1983, but in 1984, after graduating high school, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed would travel to North Carolina to begin his studies for electrical engineering at North Carolina AT&T. While at the university, KSM would be subjugated to humiliating prejudices by fellow students. During morning and evening prayers, shoes and sandals belonging to Muslims would be thrown in a nearby lake. Almost a weekly barrage of racial epithets and discrimination would enrage KSM from within. Here, he despised Americans because of their daily tortures. 
1986, KSM received his bachelor's and would relocate back to Peshawar, but this time with a newfound zeal for revenge against his Western adversaries, where before his arrival to the United States, none existed. While in Peshawar, he would reunite with his older brother, Saeed al-Sheikh, who was fully involved in the Afghan-Soviet war. Saeed would introduce KSM to Abdul Azam, who would be known to almost everyone in the Middle East as the godfather of modern-day jihad. KSM would begin working out of the Sada training camp operated by Azam. Immediately and afterwards, KSM would begin working for Abdul Rasaf's magazine, al Bunyan al-Masus. According to accounts from counterterrorism expert Rohan Guantanara, KSM would travel to the Philippines in 1991 at the behest of Saudi National and Soviet Afghan Bureau, Osama bin Laden, to train members of the militant groups Abu Sayyaf and the Moral Islamic Liberation Front in bomb-making and assassination. He works with bin Laden's brother-in-law, Muhammad Jamal Khalifa, to establish an operational base there and also in, based in Malaysia. Khalifa is bin Laden's brother-in-law and has numerous businesses in the Philippines. It is here that KSM would be considered a valuable asset to bin Laden personally. By 1993, KSM would marry and relocate to Qatar. Ramzi Youssef would then complete his training from Abu Jafar al-Qandari at the Sada training camp. Even though, according to Jafar, Youssef was not that impressionable in bomb making. A judge was, however, better suited at it. A judge, along with Youssef, would then travel to the mountainous Paktia province near Torabar of Afghanistan to train in the explosive, in, to train in explosives at the Chaldean camp. The camp was run by a Saudi, Khalid Salomain Jahid al-Habashi. The camp was at odds with the al-Qaeda camp, however, which differed at the religious ideology, and was at odds with Osama bin Laden due to al-Habashi's insistence that bin Laden not kill civilians during his jihad against the West. The Taliban would notice the division between the two and force the camp to shut down by the summer of 2000. Meanwhile, a local imam at the al Farouk Mosque located in Brooklyn, New York, Omar Abdel Rahman, would begin planning to bomb Jewish neighborhoods and other high-valued American targets. Rahman was also known to others as the Blind Sheikh. He was head of the Gamma Islamia, which was a terrorist training organization in Egypt. The de facto head of Gamma Islamia in Egypt he had tapped a personal bodyguard of his to construct bombs to the man's previous experience in the Special Armed Forces while in Egypt. His name was Imad Salem. Salem, meanwhile, was working as an undercommon informant for the New York Joint Terrorism Task Force and the FBI supervised by Nancy Floyd. But the FBI had pulled Salem out of the operation. It left a void for Rahman, who called Abdul Azam and Peshawar, the recommendation for the replacement, Ramzi Youssef. Both Youssef and a judge would leave the country of Pakistan, and on August 31st, 1993, using the services of local Pakistan travel agent, board Pakistan International Airlines 703 to Karachi, and then to JFK Airport in New York City, 
Ajaj and Yusuf together had five passports and numerous, and numerous documents supporting their aliases. A Saudi passport showing signs of alteration, an Iraqi passport bought from a Pakistani official, a photo substituted Swedish passport, a photo substituted British passport, a Jordanian passport, identification cards, bank records, education records, and medical records. While awaiting a JFK secondary immigration inspection, Ajaj would produce a crudely made passport in which he would state that he was Swedish. The passport was legitimate, belonging to a Swedish citizen who attended a training camp in Pakistan and surrendered his identity cards to those who ran the camp. But Ajaj had used simple paste to plaster his own photograph over the legitimate owner. The inspectors noticed it right away and held Ajaj along with his belongings that when inspectors found inside was quite revealing. While in an, in, in an immigration national inspection waiting room, inspectors Mark Cozine and Robert Malfonte would look through Ajaj's suitcase. In it, they found bomb-making manuals, videos and other materials on possible weapons and explosives assembly, letters referencing his attendance at training camps, anti-American and anti-Israeli materials, instructions on document forgery, and two rubber stamp devices to alter the seal on passports issued from Saudi Arabia. Included in on one of the manuals is a very interesting document, which was written in 1982. It had the title Al-Qaeda, which would mean that seven years prior to the group's formation, it was used in the context many years prior to which it was even acknowledged as a group. Agents of INS immediately called the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force and the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Unit. Both agencies declined to get involved in the incident. A judge would be held in the detention center pending his situation by New York courts on what to do with him. Yusuf, however, saw what was happening with a judge. Yusuf produces an Iraqi passport bearing a visa issued by the Pakistan Embassy in Pakistan before an INS officer. Yusuf would request for political asylum. He would be held and questioned in INS for three days. The INS officer who inspected Yusuf upon arrival requested he not enter the country, but due to overcrowding on the detention cells, he was given a future date for court regarding his situation. To Yusuf's surprise, he was freed, and although he had little to no money, he managed to pick up a taxi ride into New Jersey by a Pakistani taxi driver who showed pity to Yusuf's plight. The ride was free of charge. Yusuf would arrive at the Al Farouk Mosque in Brooklyn a short while later. He would sleep inside his makeshift roof on a cot. A judge, meanwhile, would be closely investigated while being held. According to Robert Friedman of the Village Voice, whose article, quote, Mossad linked to WTC suspect, bombing suspect, end quote, a judge had been recruited by the Israeli Mossad. Quote, the FBI had identified a judge as a senior intifada activist in the occupied territories, having close ties to both Al-Fatah, a consistent group of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and Hamas, the Palestinian Islamic Fundamentalist Organization. But according to Kol Alhar, a highly regarded Hebrew language weekly in Jerusalem, 
But Jihad was never involved in intifada activities or with the PLO or with Hamas. Citing court papers and other sources, Kol Harar says that far from being a political activist, Ajad was actually a small-time crook who was arrested in 1988 for counterfeiting U.S. dollars. Ajad and two other members of his counterfeiting ring ran a printing press in an Arab cemetery outside East Jerusalem, housing their equipment in the same building where religious Muslims washed corpses before burial. When Israeli police raided the cemetery, they arrested Ajad, who was holding some $100,000 of bogus US, U.S. currency. Another member was carrying an, an antiquated pistol. Ajad was convicted for counterfeiting and sentenced to two and a half years. It was during his prison stay that Mossad, Israeli CIA, apparently recruiting him, saying Israeli intelligence sources. By the time he was released, after having served one year, he had seemingly undergone a radical transformation. The common crook had become a devout Muslim and hardline nationalist. Soon after, he was arrested for smuggling weapons into the West Bank, allegedly for al-Fatah, end quote. From September 1992 onward, Yusuf would continue to remain in contact with the judge, even though he was incarcerated. Ajaj never contacted Yusuf directly. Calls were patched to Big Five Hamburgers in Dallas from associates Ajaj knew, as Ajaj had once residency in Houston, working as a pizza delivery driver while living inside the United States after he was released from prison by Israeli authorities. Ajaj would remain busy, assisting Yusuf in constructing a bomb, which would now be used in an attack inside the North Tower at the World Trade Center. The operation would be known only to Ramzi Yusuf and Abdel Rahman. Through the luck that followed, Yusuf from inside an INS detention cell, it would follow him to Brooklyn by the way of a cab ride to the Al Farouk Mosque, where he would replace Imad Salem as the constructor of a bomb, which would later be placed inside a rider truck on that cold morning of February 26, 1993. A judge would be released from prison on March 1st, 1993, just three days after the World Trade Center bombing. Immediately after declaring himself as the perpetrator to a phone call in Lower Manhattan, Yusuf would flee to Pakistan. Meanwhile, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was living inside Qatar. The citizens of New York City and elsewhere in the United States wouldn't be as lucky from hereafter as the terrorist activities of Ramzi Yusuf, Omar Abdelrahman, and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, with the intelligence services as a watchful eye from near and afar, would visit it with complete and utter destruction, which would then give the world a makeshift conversion into an Orwellian nightmare for all of time. This completes an episode of The Darkened Hour. My name is Adam Fitzgerald, and we will continue with the next episode next time.